I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jane. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. Today's episode, the Chicago Cubs and Wrigley Field. I'm not even sure where to begin. Um, This is Wrigley Field, the second oldest ballpark in the country, an American institution. This is, whether you're a baseball fan or not, everybody knows and loves Wrigley. Whether it's the rooftop bleachers that they have installed, or it's Wrigleyville outside the stadium, you know, that's just chock full of amazing bars and restaurants. There is no stadium out there that attracts more non-baseball fans than Wrigley. As soon as you step off the train, you just see hundreds of people who have clearly never been to a baseball game in their life, have very little interest in the game of baseball at all, yet they're somehow drawn to this stadium. They somehow need to come see a game at this stadium. I met a couple outside who were posing for uh, you know, a picture in front of the facade of Wrigley, and it was actually just a couple of young girls, and they had accents. Um, so I asked them, you know, where are they from? And they said, Australia. And I said, oh, wow, Australia. That's, that's a pretty far away, you know, uh, place to travel from for a baseball game. Are you guys excited that the season's going to be starting in your home country next year? The Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are going to open up the season in your backyard. Blank faces. <laughs> they had zero idea <laughs> what I was talking about. Which, by the way, I should have mentioned, they were decked out in Cubs gears, by the way. They were, I mean, hats, shirts, everything on them. They were wearing something Cubbies. So I think it's safe to assume that they were baseball fans. <laughs> I could not have been more wrong. I mean, they their faces just went blank. And and uh, <laughs> they, they had no idea that the season was starting in Australia next year. In fact, they had really never been baseball fans to begin with. But they were in Chicago. And they knew about the Cubs, and they knew about Wrigley Field. They'd seen movies, they'd seen TV shows, a lot of their favorite celebrities liked the Cubs. For whatever reason, the Cubs felt like home to them. And they said, you know, when we came here, we made it a specific trip to make sure that we came to Wrigley Field. And we bought all of the great merchandise, and we're going to go see a game today, and we couldn't be more excited. And I met a lot of people that actually had similar experiences, maybe who didn't travel nearly as far, but people who traveled certainly from all across the country just to see a game at Wrigley. And that is something very, very special about this stadium. Now, I do have a couple of problems with what happens when you fill the stands with, I'm not going to say primarily non-baseball fans, but with a high percentage of non-baseball fans. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to keep this on a more positive note for the time being. And the first thing that I'm going to say about this amazing, beautiful, historic stadium is thank you so much for continuing the tradition of not only playing live organ music, because there are a handful of stadiums that do have an organ that plays during in between innings or seventh inning stretch or at odd intervals. But pretty much the only music that I heard all nine innings was coming from the organ. And that included, you know, variations and adaptations of whatever popular culture music is today. Um, I apologize, but um, my music knowledge is is very terrible post like 1998, 
Um, so whoever the big pop stars are of today, I heard all their music through the beautiful organ. And, um, you know, organ just makes anything better. I could listen to, you know, whatever it may be, Britney Spears or Katy Perry or, or uh, uh, wow, I, honest to God. Um, oh, Rihanna, she's someone who I know. I could hear one of those songs, and, and if it was just a song on radio, it would be like white noise to me. But you play it on an organ, and you're going to see me bopping my head and tapping my toes like I was a preteen girl. I don't know if preteen girls tap their toes. I'm very out of touch. I apologize. So let me get back to talking about what I do know about, which is this, uh, this stadium. Man, this episode has gotten off the rails. So back to Wrigley. When you walk inside of the stadium, you cannot help yourself but just get transported to another era. The, the smells and the sounds and the sights of a baseball stadium are relatively similar, you know, at, at every stadium you go to. You're going to hear the vendors hooting and hollering. You're going to smell the peanuts or the hot dogs or the beer. You're going to be able to feel the breeze on your face. You're going to be able to smell the grass unless you're in Tampa or Toronto. You know, there, there are certain things that are very similar, but when you walk down the concourse in Chicago, it is just this, it honestly feels like you're stepping into a time machine and just going back a hundred years into the past. You know, much like Dodger Stadium, and while I haven't gone to Fenway Park as a part of this tour before, I will say that I have been to Fenway Park before um, years earlier. You know, when you when you walk into these three stadiums specifically, just because they are the three oldest, you do immediately realize that the modern amenities that we've all gotten so used to at the other ballparks, whether it's batting cages or climbing walls or fast pitches or, or you know, all the different kind of fun gimmicks that a lot of stadiums have installed, they just don't exist in, in places like Wrigley. And you really don't even notice that they don't. It's one of the few places that proves that you don't need all the bells and whistles. All you need is the diamond and some stands, and you're going to pack those places every single day. Because this was just a, a regular season game, and actually I discussed it with Rich uh, in, in the interview, but it was a, you know pretty much a meaningless game for the Cubs, which sadly most of their games after the month of August you know, these days are pretty much meaningless. But you know what? That's the beauty of it. Every single year, they're not playing meaningful baseball in July, August, September, yet they still find a way to pack those stands every single game. And there's pros and cons to that. And you know what? Before we go any further, I will. This is my one con. This is my one negative thing that I will say, and, and then we, we'll move on. The one problem with having you know, a, a group of fans who don't necessarily like baseball or really have any interest in going to a baseball game for the baseball is that they tend to take away from the experience of the actual baseball fans. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not a baseball fan, let me explain. First of all, why are you listening to this if you're not a baseball fan? I mean, look, I appreciate it, but this has to be the most boring thing you've ever listened to if you don't at least somewhat like baseball. But for you, if you are listening, this is my problem. 
I haven't talked too much about ticket prices and kind of the rising cost of tickets to baseball games on this podcast, but I'm going to mention it right now just because it serves my greater point. I spent $80 on my ticket to Wrigley Field, and they were pretty decent seats. I was sitting behind home plate, not directly uh, behind home plate, but in, in a section right behind it. And the people that were sitting around me were very lovely for the most part. But there was a group of of folks that were about six or seven people sitting in the row in front of me. And I'm telling you, I don't know if they even realized there was a baseball game going on in front of them. Because for the six innings that they were actually in their seats, um, I'm not sure where they went after the sixth inning. Maybe they changed seats. Maybe they went out to the bleachers. I'm not sure. Um, Maybe they did just go home. But regardless, for the six innings that they were sitting in front of me, their backs were pretty much to the field the entire time. They were chatting with each other, talking with each other on their phones, on their whatever it may be. And I was really fascinated by this because I'm going to go ahead and assume that between the six of them, you know, they, they spent you know, $500 plus on these tickets. And they had I saw them have beers and food. And they had to have spent, once again, between the, the six of them, Upwards of, of 700 bucks, 800 bucks. I don't know. I mean, they had to spend quite a lot of money on parking, on food, on merchandise, on the tickets. And they honestly just didn't look like they cared at all. I'm not talking, all right, we're going to chat a little bit and then watch and then chat the way we all watch a game. They didn't even look at the field once. I don't fundamentally understand what your motivation would be to spend the type of money that it costs to go to a game these days and take those seats away from someone who genuinely would just have an absolute blast and make a lot of noise and be engaged with the people on the field and would truly appreciate those seats. I don't understand why you would want to take that away from them because, you know, We have luxury boxes. To me, that's what luxury boxes are for. If you want to come and straight up socialize at a game or entertain clients or impress somebody, that's to me what luxury boxes are for. Those are crazily expensive places where you can eat, you can drink, you can watch anything you want on TV, but you still have the experience of quote unquote being at the ballpark. I myself personally don't really enjoy being in luxury boxes. I've done it a couple of times for for business and... You never get the full experience of the game. When you're up there, you kind of feel cut off from it all. But I understand why someone like the people sitting in front of me would have enjoyed something like that. So basically, I think what I'm just trying to say is for all you non-baseball fans out there, I love you. I I appreciate you. Believe me, I, f- I fully comprehend that there's absolutely no way that we'll be able to fill 30,000, 40,000 plus seats in these stadiums 81 times a year with just baseball nuts. And you know what? The only way to make new baseball nuts is to bring non-baseball nuts to the games so we can actually show you how amazing and fun of a time it actually is. Which, a quick spoiler alert, uh, for the next episode, I go to a Chicago White Sox game and I actually do bring someone who was a non-baseball fan who had never been to a baseball game before, had never seen a baseball game on TV before, and I brought him to his first game And you're going to be able to hear his amazing reaction on the very next episode. But that's just a little teaser for you. Let's get back to Wrigley. What I want to do right now to watch the taste of me complaining about you wonderful people out there who bring beach balls to games and like to 
watch the game with your back to the field. I love you. Just help me out a little bit and, and pay attention to like one at bat. Let's just start slow. One at bat and, and we'll go from there. But enough. I really want to play this interview for you. I am really excited to play this interview for you. This is a man named Rich. This is a woman named Barbara. They were so much fun to talk to. I honestly could have just put the recorder on for four hours and just listened to him tell stories. But you're going to hear some great stuff about old school Wrigley, what has changed, what has stayed the same. And you know what? I'm not going to spoil anything more for it. I want you guys to listen to it yourself. So without any further ado, please enjoy my interview with Rich and his wife, Barbara. And I'll see you on the other side. So I'm sitting here at the friendly confines of Wrigley Field with... Rich Waxman. Rich, it's a pleasure to meet you. So uh, basically, you were just telling me that you've been a season ticket holder here for how long? Uh, almost 30 years. So. Almost 30 years. Right. And you've been sitting here in section uh, 222 behind home plate for oh, nearly 30 years. You got to tell me, I, mean, I got so many questions I want to ask you, but can you remember way back when your first ever actual game here at Wrigley Field? Uh, I think my first actual game was probably in the 40s. Uh, when I was uh, less than 10 years old. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the actual first game. I do remember being at the sixth game of the 45 World Series. Oh my goodness. I mean, can you tell me so, just uh, some stories about that? The, the Cubs won and uh, Claude Passaw was the winning pitcher. And um, I started following the Cubs in 1938 when I was five years old. Uh, but I listened to them on the radio. I remember listening to what was known as the Homer in the Gloman because they didn't have lights at that time. And so Gabby Hartnett hit a home run late in September that put the Cubs in the pennant in 19, win the pennant in 1938. And it was uh, probably about 6.30 at night. Uh, at those days, they, they started the Cub game at three o'clock rather than the one o'clock. And oftentimes it was called because of darkness. But uh, yeah, Gabby Hartnett hit this home run and, uh, and uh, the Cubs uh, won the pennant and got into the World Series. I do remember that, but I, like I say, my first game was probably in the 40s somewhere, early 40s. That is absolutely incredible. So now you've been going to games here essentially for over 60 years. I, I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, so how much of this ballpark has changed as in your lifetime? You know, does it still feel the same now as it did 60 years ago? You know, not a lot of the ballpark has changed. Um, uh, they still... They still have the same antiquated urinals. Uh, they <laughs> no, I mean the scoreboard is the same. Uh, what what has really changed are the bleachers in this in the over the apartment buildings across the street. Uh, that that's you know reasonably new. Uh, there used to be where that United sign. There used to be a Budweiser sign, uh, which was there for years and years. And um, uh, of course the new scoreboard. Uh, in, in right field, that's new. Yeah, it feels a little odd to see something digital in Wrigley Field, right. but it, it, right. it looks all right, but it does kind of feel a little bit out of place. I don't know if I ever want you guys to go to a digital scoreboard. Well, you know, they just got permission from the uh, city to uh, put up a, uh, you know, a video board for next year. It's going to go over in left center. And, uh, but you're still going to keep the manual scoreboard, I hope, are you? I think so. I, you know, I, I, I certainly hope so because that is really the tradition here, you know. No, absolutely. So and the lights came in the 
in the late 80s, as I remember. I think it was 1988 around yeah, there. I think you're right. Yeah. So can you tell me, do you remember your first night game here at Wrigley? And, and I went to the first so night You went game. to the first ever oh, night absolutely. game here. Yeah, absolutely. And it got rained out. <laughs> and uh, we were sitting in the rain, and the players came out and started sliding across the tarp. Uh, you know, they were acting really silly, and, uh, and I think one of them got fined because uh, the manager thought he might hurt himself for doing that. And Yeah, and then we came the next day, uh, which was the next night for, that, for the actual game that uh, was actually played that day. But my son and I have had tickets. Uh, uh, I started buying the tickets in the late 80s. All right, so um, I just, all right, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. I've been talking to people for the last couple months here, and you're the first one that I've talked to now that's been actively going to games for, for such a long time. So about how many games do you get to a year? Well, what, what we've done now is uh, uh, my son and I uh, buy the tickets, and then uh, we split them uh, with one of his partners so my wife and I, who my wife is sitting next to you, uh, my wife and I uh, go to about uh, anywhere from 25 to 30 games a year. That is absolutely tremendous. So now can you just tell me maybe one or two of just the most standout moments that you've had here at Wrigley Field, moments that, you know, you remember every once in a while that, that just you'll remember until the day you die? Well, uh, I, I certainly remember uh, the, uh, the sixth game of the uh, playoff series, which was known as the Bartman game. Oh, were you here for that? Here. Oh, my goodness. We were here, and there was a fella who sat behind me who uh, came from Boston, and uh, he rooted for the Red Sox in the American League, but the Cubs in the, in the National League. And, of course, at that time, the, neither the Boston or the Cubs had been in a World Series for some time. And I turned around and I said to him, five more outs. Five more outs, that's all we need. And then uh, the Bartman uh, incident happened. That is absolutely heartbreaking. I remember watching that game live, and I was actually on my feet, and I actually said similar to the same thing, five more outs, and I hit my knees when that thing happened. I just fell to my knees, and I walked off. I, mean, I walked out of the room. I could not. That broke my heart. I was rooting for you guys so hard that year with Pryor and Wood and Maddox. You guys had such a strong, strong squad. And yeah, oh, that that's you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't so much the the uh, incident. I mean, on the next play, Gonzalez uh, was the shortstop and he muffed a double play. Oh, you know, no, no, it, that just well, it wasn't no, that play. It look, it was the foul the ball. Exactly, it just changed the chemistry. Yeah, no, it it sucked all the energy out of the out of Pryor's shoulders just slumped. You know, you you just change the whole field. I mean, the, the whole. Everybody said, oh, you know, oh, my God, not not again. You know, not again. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but how about a little bit of a happier memory? <laughs> I know, not many of them. Fan. I mean, how much you gotta have You got to have one happy memory. Uh, we saw, I think I, I, I saw Ron, when, Ryan Sein, when Ryan Sandberg, I believe, uh, if, if I've got the game right, I think he hit four home runs uh, and, and won an extra inning game. And I think it was against the Cardinals. Uh, uh, I think he hit the home run off of uh, Bruce Souter, as I remember. It was a very unusual happening. I know, I know that. That was a have. I was here for a 22 to 21 game with the Phillies, where Mike Schmidt hit four home runs. Uh, you know, we we we've seen some some pretty interesting interesting uh, games, to be sure. Yeah. All right, that is absolutely wonderful. And I'm gonna actually now talk to your wife here for one moment here, because I gotta hear something sure. from her. So, so I'm standing here with? Barbara. With Barbara, and so you also had season tickets here now for almost 30 years, and kid, do you remember your first game here at Wrigley Field? 
Well, my first game was more than 30 years ago. It was when my husband and I were dating, and he took me to a Cub game, and I brought my knitting. <laughs> I see a lot of women bringing their knitting to the ballpark, but I see I see no knitting here with you today. No, no knitting. That was the first and last time. <laughs> awesome. So now you're a fan? Now I'm a fan. That is so wonderful. You know, one of the things that I've been trying to follow in my tour here is I want to find more women who, as you said, who come to the game and don't knit and don't read and actually enjoy the ball game. Nothing warms my heart more when I see a woman who genuinely enjoys the game. I've met mothers and daughters. I met uh, this actually in Texas. I met a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter that all came to the games together. Nice. And it was just one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So. What is it about, and was it your husband that brought you into the game, or what, what is it about baseball that really made you into a fan? Well, it was my husband that brought me into the game, and he loves to be here. He loves to be at Wrigley. He's just relaxed and so engaged in the game, and he understands the game so well. So I love being with him, and I became a friend, a fan, just simply because it was so important to him. That is absolutely so, lovely. And he doesn't, you know, he could go with somebody who knows baseball better, who could have a better conversation with him about the game, but he wants to come with me. So after 52 years, I think that's pretty good. Oh, you're going to make me cry. That is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. So, all right, can you tell me now, your husband was telling me some, some of his memories of, of coming here. Can you just tell me some of your individual memories of just experiencing a game at the ballpark and... and some happy times. I know it's hard for a Cubs fan, but some happy times here at the park. Well, I, it's always a happy time when the Cubs win. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer. That is an absolutely great answer. All right. Thank you so much for talking to me. All right. That, I, do remember, I do remember one broken bat. I do remember one game that uh, when you talk about happy moments, I saw a no-hitter here, uh, Don Cardwell. Uh, in 1960, May of 1960, uh, pitched a no-hitter. Uh, they had just gotten him from the Pirates, and uh, his, I think it was his first start as a Cub. Pitched a no-hitter against the Cardinals, and uh, Stan Musial played in that game. And I remember um, Walt Morin was playing left field, and at the last out was kind of a humpback liner over the shortstop's head, and Morin, who was not known for his uh, fielding finesse, uh, came in and made a running dip glove catch of the save the no hitter uh, and the next week I had my first date with my wife oh. and, uh, and so that that stands out in my mind and then um, about 30 years later uh, they had a Don Cardwell day and I brought the scorecard with me and uh, gave it to the Cubs management, and they had him autograph the card for me, which I still have. Oh, that was very awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Wow. That is, I'm very, very jealous of you. To be able to come out to this ballpark for that long, I am, that is something that, wow. I mean, I, I have no words to that. That is absolutely incredible. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. I just want to uh, ask you just one final question, basically. What is it, do you think, about Wrigley Field? that makes it so, outside of the fact that it's been around forever, because what is it about Wrigley Field that you think should bring more people out here and, and people should make trips to Wrigley Field? Why? Well, just, just, just look at it. I mean, just turn around and look. I mean, you've got almost a standing room only crowd today uh, for a team that has absolutely no chance of winning, uh, not even finishing third in its division. Uh, they come out, uh, it's the atmosphere. Hold on one second, we got to, there you go, base hit. Go, 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 run. 
All right, man, on second and third, the Cubs are rallying here. There we go, got an early rally. And listen to this crowd. You're absolutely right. Listen to this crowd. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it has become a social thing. That, uh, you know, the, the kids out here, sometimes I wonder whether they, you know, the younger kids pay attention to the game or whether they're out here to meet and greet. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a great place to see a, a, a ball game. And, uh, you know, I'll be 80 years old this year, and uh, I hope in my lifetime I see a pennant. I think you're going to. I think you're going to. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you talking with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're back. Did that not just melt your heart? They were two of the most lovely people I'd talked to on this tour so far. Absolutely spectacular. I had so much fun talking to Rich and Barbara. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in any other sport. 1938. Did you hear that? He's been a fan since 1938. That's before Jackie. It's before World War II. <laughs> I mean, that's just... It is amazing to me that, that the history that you can find in the stands, on the field, anywhere surrounding these ballparks is just something, something that you don't get in many other aspects of, of American living. You know, we're a young country. We don't have a lot of history. We don't have a lot of historical buildings, really. And, and even if we did have a lot of historical buildings, it's not like if you go to a church or, or a monument that was built 100 years ago— that you're going to be able to get a chance to talk to someone, just a random stranger, that's been going to the same monument for 60-plus years. You know, it's really quite incredible when you think about it. Places like Dodger Stadium and Wrigley and Fenway, these are our pieces of American history. And it connects you to generations that, that honestly, I don't know when in my life I would get to talk to a 70-plus-year-old man for as long as I did here at Wrigley Field and any other walk of life. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's nowhere really that I can go where that's socially acceptable. I mean, I guess I could go to to a retirement home and just chat with some folks, but that's not something that people do. That's not, you know, when I think I'm convincing myself maybe I need to go do that <laughs> because it's just, it is really quite amazing to hear some of these stories. So I want to touch on some of the stuff that, that Rich and Barbara talked about, the, the first of which being how little Wrigley has changed and how much it's going to be changing in the coming years. So for those of you who maybe have not been to Wrigley uh, recently or maybe have only seen it on TV, you know that there's a large manual scoreboard in straightaway center field, which is fantastic. Um, it's, it's so old that there aren't enough spaces for all of the out-of-town scores, actually. Um, when you look at it, there's, uh, I believe it's missing uh, three or four if there's a full slate of games, at least three or four of them will not show up on the out-of-town scoreboard because back then there weren't that many teams. They had no idea that there were going to be 30 teams someday. Now, some people might get annoyed by that. Some people might, you know, get up in arms and say we need to have updates. They need to adapt to the time. Personally, you know, my out-of-town scoreboard these days is pretty much my cell phone. So I don't really need it. It's a nice added feature, but not... It's not enough to sacrifice that beautiful manual scoreboard. But as you heard in the interview, the city of Chicago did grant Wrigley permission to add a Jumbotron. And 
you know, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but I, I, I just think that's wrong. They're going to be covering up some of the um, rooftop bleacher seats, which once again, for those of you who may not know, um, check out roundingthird.net. You can see some pictures of the seats. The apartment buildings that are across the street from Wrigley have built bleachers on top of their roofs and they sell tickets to the games. So you're actually sitting outside of the stadium, but you get a unbelievable view of inside Wrigley. And they've got a deal with uh, um, with the Cubs and they share a percentage of the revenue from ticket sales. But this new Jumbotron is going to completely obstruct the view of several of those apartment complexes. And that is just, that's sad because this was a really unique gimmick that, that Wrigley had. And I can just see this a little bit. Surely that's going to go away. You know, this is just step one. And, and eventually there will be no more rooftop seats. And honestly, there is, there's a video scoreboard at Wrigley already in right field and it looks out of place. It's, it's, you know, look, if you want to update it, then tear it down and build a new stadium. But just inserting modern amenities, inserting a Jumbotron inside Wrigley, it doesn't, it looks weird. It just looks anachronistic and it looks, I don't know. Who knows though? I mean, there are smarter people than me than that, that know what they're doing. And so maybe I'll just wait and see. And maybe it's going to be something beautiful and, and I just need to get with the times and adapt and change with everybody else but you know this is the the i believe 22nd stadium that i've done uh, on this tour and as i mentioned earlier i've never seen a stadium that has more non-baseball fans coming out and believe me it's not because you know you guys added a jumbotron or or a video scoreboard they're not coming for the modern amenities they're coming because it's wrigley field they're coming because it's history they're coming because i don't know you guys have a legacy, and and you're messing with that legacy. Is adding a Jumbotron going to win your World Series? I doubt it. But the more you change that stadium, the less likely it is that someone from Australia is going to hear so much about the famed Wrigley Field and have to come and visit it. And then all you're going to have to rely on is how your team's doing on the field. And <laughs> no disrespect to the Cubs front office. I'm a huge fan of Theo Epstein. I do believe that he is he's trying to put the best nine guys on the field every single day. But uh <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like the more you got that stadium and the more you try to update it and kind of, you know, force these these modern amenities in there, you're just kind of not you're not pleasing anybody. You know, it it's it's uh what's that old phrase? It's a the camel, it's a horse built by committee, some such nonsense. I don't know. I I just know that that's, I'm going to be sad when I see a Jumbotron at Wrigley Field. But that's enough of my belly aching. <laughs> I want to actually end this podcast talking about something uh, that I absolutely adored about Wrigley, and that's the tour that they give. So I don't care if you guys are baseball fans, if you're just sports fans in general, if you like history, if you like America, whatever you like. Chances are there's going to be something for you if you take a Wrigley Field tour. So if you find yourself in the Midwest, preferably on an off day, come to Wrigley Field when the team's not in town and book yourself uh, one of their group tours because they really do one of the better jobs of any other stadium in the country. It took us about an hour and a half, and I got to actually bring my sister along with me, which 
you're going to hear more about my sister in the next episode. But for now, I'll just say that it was so cool to see the stadium through her eyes. She is someone who is not really a sports fan at all, let alone a baseball fan. Uh, She tolerates it because of her brother and kind of his obsession, but it's not something that she generally goes out of her way to to watch. But, you know, I forget sometimes because I've been doing this for so long that getting a chance to be on the field or being in the the dugouts or the locker rooms or, or, you know, kind of the special areas of these stadiums, this is the first time for my sister that she ever got to sat inside of a major league dugout. And it was, you know, the Cubs dugout, which if she was going to be a baseball fan, obviously she'd be a Tigers fan, but she's been living in Chicago for, for several years. So I think the Cubs are kind of her um, second place team, which that's okay with me. You can have an AL and an NL team. That's all right. But the tour itself was quite spectacular. It was educational. It was fun. It was engaging. They took us, throughout the entire ballpark and it's really quite something to see how um, old and nasty their clubhouses are so I will give them that that yes there's a there's a charm to this stadium that that we as fans get to enjoy but if I was a player I would desperately be asking for some type of of improvements to the bowels of the stadium because (laughs) they uh they took us through the uh, from the visiting clubhouse to the home team's dugout or a clubhouse rather. We were walking down the hallway, and I just saw this sad, lonely washer dryer unit. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you know, this must be for the staff, for the crew, or something like that." Because there's no way that they're going to be able to wash 25 guys' uniforms in that. And I was told, "No, I, I just walked through the laundry room, and it was tiny and disgusting and." So, yeah, I, I, I do empathize with you, the, the Cub player, who has to use Wrigley Field as a home. Um, so my complaints are more from the aesthetic point, you know, in the actual stadium itself. If you want to go ahead and gut the, the clubhouses and the locker rooms to, to make sure that's a little bit more up to, up to snuff, I, I, I get it. And if that means, you know, having to, to change the concourse a little bit, because I clearly don't know anything about architecture, I know what a load-bearing beam is, but that's pretty much the extent of my architectural knowledge. Um, so I get that. <laughs> that was quite, uh, I say charming, but realistically kind of sad to see the state of both the visitor and the, the home team clubhouse uh, on the tour. But So yeah, I, I absolutely. Go to Wrigley. If you can't buy a ticket to a game, because the games often are sold out and the tickets are quite expensive, do yourself a favor and at least take the tour because it was, you know, thus far, I haven't done a tour at all the stadiums. I've done it at a lot of them, but by far the best one I've been on. So with that, that's going to bring us to the end of another episode. Um, the next one is going to be a really fun one. It's the White Sox. And as I mentioned earlier, I brought someone to the game who had never been to a baseball game before in his life. That is my brother-in-law. And, um, yeah, it's it's uh, be sure. You're definitely going to want to listen to that one. Uh, so for now, I just want to go ahead and thank all the usual suspects. Mr. Blake White, thank you so much for the intro and the outro music. Mr. Icarus Ronan, thank you so much for the web design and just all of the help in life overall. Uh, Krishna Jane, you are an absolutely amazing photo editor, and I am forever grateful for that. And thank you guys 
for listening. I really appreciate you listening to this. And um, please go ahead and check out roundingthird.net where you can see write-ups and you can see photos and you can see just a lot more information about my tour. You can follow me at roundingthirdmj on Twitter. That's at roundingthirdmj on Twitter. Uh, please shoot me an email at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. I absolutely love listening to your feedback. Uh, I've been told that I've got some pretty good insight into some of your stadiums, and I've been told that I've gotten some things wrong about some of your stadiums. So please, either one, I love to hear it. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, evening, wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this. I hope you guys are doing well out there. So join me next time as I continue to round third, heading for home. Rounding third with Manish Jane.